You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. I need to surround myself with really smart people that are really good at a number of other things that I just, I, I can't, I just can't do. So the one or two things that I'd say that I'm good at or that I like spending time with and honing in on is one is in terms of tasting teas, I have a crazy olfactory memory. So I'm able to remember how things smell and taste for extended periods of time. And so what I do is like that memory game where you remember where the cards are. So in terms of how each ingredient might complement each other, I'm able to use that database within my head of how things will complement, how they'll play out in terms of flavor profile. So that I'd say is one hack that I love tapping into. In terms of tasting, it's really simple. It's when you taste tea, over 80% of what we taste is actually through our sense of smell. So just like with wine tasting, you really slurp it in. The one little hack that we do that's a little bit different is after we taste, because over over 98% of what you're drinking is water. So you're looking for that nuance within the 2% is we do almost like a new jai breath, like a yogic breath after we drink. So with our lips closed, we just take a slow breath out through the nose. And what that does is it just really gets everything hyper engaged and you're really able to dive into where things hit the nose, where things hit the palate. That was Steve Schwartz. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, Marnie on the Move listeners. Welcome and welcome back. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. Today, I am joined by world-renowned master tea blender and the founder of Art of Tea, Steve Schwartz. But first, shout out to our sponsors, Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the ultra-personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. They are my go-to for understanding my inner health, looking at my blood levels, and getting great nutritional insight. Inside Tracker transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science-backed recommendations you need to reach your goals. Take control of your health and wellness. Unlock the power of your potential. Use our code for 20% off. Thank you, MOTM. And of course, there's a link in the show notes. Now, Steve's fascination with tea began back in 1996 while studying preventative and holistic medicine at the Ayurvedic Institute in New Mexico. He learned that tea is so much more than a warm, comforting beverage. It's a gateway to better health, happiness, and productivity. At the art of tea, Steve applies his background in Ayurveda, initially cultivated during his time studying at the Ayurvedic Institute, to the creation of award-winning blends that showcase his passion for the alchemy of combining herbs and botanicals. 
Originally drawn to the field after his mother passed away from cancer when he was 19 years old, Steve became curious about Eastern and preventative medicine as an alternative to the Western medicine that failed to save his mom. Following his tenure at the Ayurvedic Institute, Steve traveled around the world to meet with farmers in Asia, India, Africa, the Middle East, to broaden his knowledge of tea and learn how climate and terroir impact its expression and flavor. On this episode, Steve shares his extensive knowledge of all things Ayurveda, tea, and where the two intersect. We talk about the various origins of black, white, green, and oolong teas, as well as the health and wellness benefits of each unique blend. Steve chats with me about his experiences traveling around the world in search of the highest quality leaves and his rise to prominence as the first master tea blender in the U.S. Steve and I sync up about the inspiration behind the art of tea and the entrepreneurial mindset that powered his company to success. Steve shares invaluable advice on following your passion and never being too afraid to take a risk. Steve also lets me in on the mindfulness and exercise routines that keep him living a balanced, fulfilled, and focused life. Steve's drive and passion for expanding people's knowledge of the history of tea has cultivated relationships with brands, acclaimed chefs, and restaurants like Google, Vera Wang, The Peninsula Hotel, Wolfgang Puck, and so much more. Today, Art of Tea is an award-winning tea importer and wholesaler based in LA that hand blends and custom crafts the finest organic teas and botanicals. Since he founded the company in 2004, Steve has grown Art of Tea into a leading purveyor of organic and specialty teas, and he is a guiding voice within the industry. The brand's extensive offerings and services include custom tea menus and blends, retail teas, a pyramid tea bag line, hospitality programs, training, and private label partnerships. Art of Tea offers a broad spectrum of teas, including its single origin collection, a wellness line featuring teas that combine herbs and botanicals, as well as iced tea and ceremonial grade matcha. After my conversation with Steve, you are going to be hooked on tea. So thanks to Art of Tea, here's a code to get you started. For my listeners, Art of Tea is offering 15% off. Use this code MONEYONTHEMOVE15 through July 2021. This code is not applicable for gift cards, teas of the month, subscriptions, or any wholesale orders. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Head over to the app, scroll through the Marnie on the Move podcast episodes, click on five stars, and leave us a review. Also, share this conversation and episode with your friends on your social platforms. Last but not least sign up for the download, our bi-weekly newsletter. Now, on to my conversation with Steve Schwartz. I am so glad to have you here today with me, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. Honored to be here. I am really, really enjoying your tea. I love the sleep blend. I've been having it every night since I got the tea a couple months ago. And I also love the throat therapy, which I probably should have used before recording this podcast. (laughs) And the Earl Grey is great too. I'm really, really loving the tea. And you have such a broad spectrum of offerings from loose leaf to packaged tea. And the packaging is just awesome. So take me back, rewind, where did it all begin? 
First of all, it means so much to me that you enjoy tea. Thank you. You know, we, we want to impact as many lives as we can through tea. So really hearing it directly from you means a lot. So it's the whole you. experience. It, it remind, yeah. What is that experience like for you? Like, what is what does that look like? And when, what time of day, what, what, what helps you enjoy that experience? So I really like to have tea at night and I like tea that's not caffeinated. And for me, it's like this ritual of like a disconnecting before I go to bed and having some tea that helps me relax and switch gears and move into a different zone. And I also really enjoy the process of making loose leaf tea. But I've been using the tea bags from Art of Tea. I love the whole process and I love honey. I have a brand of honey that I really like and it's like raw, oh. organic, local. Yeah, that's my tea ritual. Right. So it sounds like the whole setup, right? Getting the process going, selecting the leaves, getting the bag yeah. ready, the water, the honey. So I think the ritual, it, for some people, it's the, it, it can be threatening, right? Like, I don't know if I'm going to make it right. I don't, want, I don't want to mess it up. And for others, when you really get into it, the, the mindset of just preparing that tea, it doesn't matter what gender, age, demographic, where you are in this world, it's leaves and water. Right. And so if we're able to be really intentional with that process, it then in turn uh, helps you. So for you, if it's nighttime, then it helps you unwind throughout the rest of the night and be super present, whether it's present with your partner or present with yourself, whatever it might be, setting the intentions for the, the rest of the, the day for the next day. So that, that's beautiful. And because you're passionate about Ayurveda, I just want to share one little tidbit, if that's, if that's okay. So yes. I love honey too. I have a huge sweet tooth. So that's definitely one of my, my weaknesses. And, and that's also why we, we do the best we can to source and to blend teas that are self-drinking teas, meaning yes. teas where you don't need to add honey or sugar. But, but in, from an Ayurvedic perspective with honey, there's these volumes that are that Ayurveda is built off of called Charaka Samhita. Charaka Samhita is basically, legend has it that it was written 5,000 years ago. Right. Uh, there are some people that debate that, but let's say it was written 5,000 years ago. And to the Ashwintins that helped put this together, they were talking about the health benefits of honey and it's used to help make concoctions and bind herbs. It helps you deliver the health benefits of whatever you're, you're drinking or absorbing more readily because it gets into right. the bloodstream right away. However, it, it talks about also if you use it boiling water, that there could be some adverse effects. Now, I'm not here to make any sort of medical recommendations, but just know that if you put the honey in at 140 degrees, like it's drinking temperature, it's still hot. But if if you were to wait, so in other words, you put the tea in at the right temperature, you let it cool to closer to 140, and then you add the tea, it still dissolves the liquid, um, but it's not actually boiling the tea and therefore turning the alchemizing, you know, the, the effect of honey in a negative way. Oh, that's good to know. I did not know that. I mean, I'm just trying to like, I'm trying to get the positive effect of honeys. And there's so many. It's miraculous. I know. It's miraculous. It is unbelievable. And the flowers enjoy the bees. And the bees, if you ever see beekeepers, they go and they harvest the honey. And there's this really dynamic relationship that happens. It's it's beautiful. Yeah. So, well, that's a great tip. So, and speaking of Ayurveda, I mean, that's kind of how you got into the whole process of starting Art of Tea was first your practice of Ayurveda. Can you tell me a little bit about how that started for you and how you got into Ayurveda before we talk about Art of Tea. Yeah, definitely. So finished high school and um, got a full paid scholarship to go to, to college. And six months into it, my mom got diagnosed with brain cancer. So I dropped out of school, 
moved out of state back into to live with her. Um, and I took care of her for about 10 months. And we went from one doctor to another doctor trying to figure out like, what's the right, right. you know, methodology that we should be using? What's the right treatments that we should be using? And like, we don't really know, but you know, this is what we think you should try. And this is what, you know, an experimental treatment that might show some promising results. But at the end of 10 months, she ended up passing and it really like woke me up. It really got me to realize that cancer must have been around for thousands of years. We only just recently called it and discovered it over the past few hundred years as cancer. So if it's been around for so long, then there's got to be other healing modalities that help really target and combat cancer and, and help us be more aware of our health and, and that you know, mind-body connection. And so I didn't want to be a doctor and I didn't want to stick needles in people and I didn't want to be a massage therapist. And there's nothing wrong with any of those. They're all amazing. But I found this book in this bookstore called The Ayurveda, The Science of Life by a guy named Dr. Vasant Lott. And I turned to the back of the book and he had a school in Albuquerque, New Mexico. It's like, I'm there. I got to check it out. And there was a seminar that they did one weekend, flew out there, fell in love and ended up staying there for a number of years and really got into the alchemy of blending herbs and teas and botanicals and was chosen as the only student advanced enough to work with the masters at my school and how to blend and source. And, and this is before the internet really took off. So like we were looking at old Indian phone books and faxing people. And, and I remember I was on the phone with one supplier. This is when it was like $2 and something a minute. And coming, you know, my early 20s, a little cocky, it's like, uh, hello, I need, to, I need to order some ginkgo. And he said, okay, would you like ginkgo on an eastern slope or a western slope next to a river? And I said, it doesn't matter. I, I just need ginkgo. And he said, no, sir, I'm sorry. It doesn't matter. And you need to come here yourself and experience it. So I was intrigued. I saved all my money. I worked four different jobs. I got a backpack. And I started traveling around the world to find the best teas and botanicals possible. Now, I, I had no idea I was going to start a tea company. I just knew that I was a huge tea nerd and into it and started bringing stuff back for friends and family and started blending in my living room and caught the attention of Wolfgang Puck. And then Caesar's Palace, they wanted me to train the first tea sommelier in the United States. And it just sort of grew from there. I was going to say there's such a parallel to this whole world of tea with the world of wine. That's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, terroir, origin, when and how the fog rolls off, flushes, right? you have like a spring wine, a summer wine, and a late summer, early fall wine, and how the grapes sweeten and, and the taste and texture changes. So you'll find that with tea, absolutely. And so tea has been around since the beginning of time. Where did it begin? First of all, I love tea. I'd say that I'm more addicted to learning about tea than I am drinking it, because there's just so much to learn. I mean, it's transformed our world, our history, the first energy drink in the world, way before Monster and Espresso right. and Red Bull and all this other stuff, it was tea. So legend has it that, you know, thousands of years ago, there was an emperor that was boiling his water, let it cool, put the boiling water on his windowsill and was letting it cool. And wind started to pick up and a tea leaf flew in the air into the pot and not wanting to waste the water, he drank the liqueur and claimed its healing benefits. So just imagine, like you might think, okay, well, dude, one leaf, like 
I don't know that that's really going to have that. I believe it. But being that (laughs) tuned in and sensitive, like where it just, it started to create a whole mind shift where this plant medicine, this idea of this botanical infused in the liquid helps to elevate the mind, stimulate the thyroid, stimulate the digestive system. So this was the first start of like these philosophy houses and tea houses because tea was stimulating the thought generation. And so this started to get all throughout Asia and then eventually through these trade routes throughout throughout Europe. And it, it, it was a form of commerce. In fact, the first book written on tea was called Cha Ching. Cha means tea, like, like matcha. And so you have... You have tea that was brought by camelback throughout Asia into Europe. And at first there were these green tea leaves. And as they were being brought by camelback, they'd stop every night. They'd light a campfire. The smoke would permeate these sacks. And the leaves would start to turn from green to black. So by the time they got to Europe, it was this black tea. It was this really smoky brew. And so they needed to get it faster because it was only royalty that could afford now, granted, you can go to the supermarket now and, and buy tea for a dollar, right. two dollars, and we'll get into quality of tea in a little bit. But then the clipper ships came, and and transportation and and all these other things were designed around around tea. So before UPS, before Federal Express, rather than taking months at a time by Camelback, the clipper ships were the first to really innovate transportation and it was filled it was filled with tea so tea starts as a leaf as a green leaf and then over time it changes using that wine analogy that you were bringing up earlier so all good wine comes from what type of fruit typically grapes grapes awesome so now depending on the type of grape that's used and, and and the type of you know where is it from and is it crushed is it stored in an oak barrel or stainless steel container and who's the artisan that's making it and not just location, but also like one artisan that's making it versus another. They could be in the same elevation, same types of grapes, but you can have such completely different results. So the same sort of thing happens with tea. All true tea comes from one evergreen shrub called Camellia sinensis. Okay. Camellia sinensis. Now I'm going to get a little scientific here, a little geeky. So all true tea comes from Camellia sinensis. And then from that, you have Camellia sinensis sinensis. Camellia sinensis samic and Camellia sinensis cambode. And from that, you have thousands of subvarietals. So just think about it like grapes. You have a Merlot grape, a Chardonnay grape, a Champagne grape. Like you have all these different kinds of grapes. And then you can even make a blend of different types of grapes. And do they leave the skin on? Do they not? Do they cook it? Like that all creates different kinds of wine. So with tea, all true tea comes from Camellia sinensis. Now, white tea is picked and dried. That's it. Okay. There's three major varietals of white tea, but we believe that true white tea comes from Fujian province in China. Then you have green tea, which is either steamed or are pan fired. Now, you know, being a food lover and, and a hacker of, of uh, all things digestible potentially, like depending on how that tea leaf is either steamed or baked, you can have different effects of green. Then you have oolong, which is anywhere from 1% to 99% oxidized, meaning they take the leaves, they crush the cells of the leaves, they bring the juices up to the surface, and they'll let it sit out in that fresh mountain air for an hour to, uh, you know, sometimes they'll wait till 12 or two o'clock in the morning 
to do that final roasting process to halt the oxidization. And there's so many different kinds of oolongs. And we can dive into any of these verticals. And then there's black tea, and which is 100% oxidized, 100% cooked. And then you have pu'er, which is fermented. And then if it's not from Camellia sinensis, it's not a tea. Okay. So I so got chamomile. Yeah, chamomile. Yeah. Yeah. You love caffeine-free blends. A chamomile tea, it doesn't exist. You cannot. It's, it's like an oxymoron. You can't have chamomile tea because it's like making coffee. It's like if I offer you a cup of coffee and you might go to the dark side from time to time. I enjoy a good cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, but like. Wait, coffee it, is the dark side? <laughs> Well, you know, of yes. tea, yeah, it could, it could be the dark side yeah. of tea. Okay. Um, and I love coffee. Don't get me wrong. I, I enjoy a really, really good cup of coffee, but it's a different energy. Yes. It's a different bio effect on caffeine. Completely. We can talk a bit about that. So chamomile doesn't come from Camellia sinensis. Just like a coffee bean is needed to make coffee and chocolate is needed from the cacao bean and wine is typically needed from grapes. Right. So you can't have tea unless it's from Camellia sinensis. So then it's in a completely different category called tisane. And tisane is a fancy French word that means botanical. So lemon verbena and rooibos and honeybush and chamomile and hibiscus or homica. You have all these amazing botanicals, amazing, right. but not tea. Now you could take chamomile. And those are the things that I drank typically, the botanicals probably, like all the different... And they're wonderful. There's wonderful combinations and you could take it and blend it with green tea and then you have a fusion. And we're so fortunate just being here in Southern California where there's tons of amazing different botanicals that are just even grown locally in our Santa Monica mountains. There are certain places where it's known that these teas are grown and then you bring them here to grow in Southern California. Yeah. Well, great question. So yes, origin is very important and very specific, especially with black teas. Because they're 100% oxidized and cooked, you can really taste the terroir you can taste the cooking and heating effect. A black tea from Sri Lanka versus black tea from Yunnan province in China is going to have very different effects. Granted, the Camellia sinensis might also be a, also be a little bit different, mm-hmm. but the soil conditions, you know, is it subtropical, the elevation, all these play into the, the final taste effect. Well, even with green tea, how they cook it and, and where it's grown. So Japanese green tea you know, being an island type cuisine and culture, they will infuse crab shell and fish guts and volcanic ash into the soil. And that impacts the flavor of the tea. While Chinese style green tea will be pan fired and and wok roasted to give it sort of a, you know, that outer crisp edge. It's very much in line with the Chinese cuisine. How many masters of tea are there in the world? It's really amazing to, to discover that there is this whole world of tea. Yeah, there is there is a whole world of tea, and and what we're finding is is two things. One is that tea is actually the second most consumable beverage in the world, right behind water. So well above Coke and well above coffee, tea is the second most consumable beverage, right behind water. There's actually more more men in the world that drink tea than women, and eighty six percent. Of millennials are actually tea drinkers. Now, I grew up like you're either a coffee drinker yeah. or you're a tea drinker. Like, pick your lane. And now, what we're finding is that, you know, there's this whole generation that's just really cracking the reality that you could be both. You could see a functional 
distinctive plant and beverage serving at, at particular points in time, whether it's through ritual or through performance, right. that could really serve you to the best of your ability. And even younger generations that starting to come out with just a deep appreciation of wanting to know where do my leaves come from? How are they packed? How are they, let's see, how are they sourced? Is it organic? Right. Uh, what's the intention that's put behind this? So it's really beautiful. I think a lot of people are starting to like take a deeper look at everything that they're putting into their body and their health and their wellness. And so it would make sense that people want to know where the tea they're drinking comes from, what the quality of the leaves are, what the quality of the blend is, like what is it going to do for their health or for their energy or for their day, whether it's just for drinking the tea or it's for the ritual. So, I mean, it's an interesting, I think that's what I'm hearing more about. So it's not surprising that you would say that millennials are really starting to get more into the tea and have this curiosity around it. Yeah. And, and the intention behind it as well, the yeah. permission, I think now more than ever, right, where we may be feeling a sense of disconnection with each other, that tea allows us that sense of time and ability and permission to connect even on a, on a deeper level through that process, through that ritual of selecting the, you know, the right clean water source, the right leaves, the right, the right space that we could be in. It does so much. It does so, and it's just simple. Again, yeah. it's simple. It's leaves and water. And that process is timeless. It's been around for thousands of years. And, you know, a ritual in Japan versus a ritual in Morocco could have very different symbolism behind how we come together as a family or how we come together and show up for ourselves or for each other. It's it's beautiful. It's beautiful that also just thinking about different cultures and different rituals and different teas and the way that different cultures have would drink tea. And and speaking of locations, regardless of where you are in the world, some people might ask, well, you know, how do I know? No, knowing that you like botanicals, right? Knowing that you gravitate towards that and 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 function and how can can I better understand what's even in my own backyard? So there's a story of a student and a master. And the master comes to the student and says, you're now ready for your final exam. Uh, I want you to go within a one mile radius and find me a single botanical that does not have medicinal value. And so the student gets excited and says, okay, master, like, I'm uh, great, I'm ready, I'll do it. Master says, okay, you got 24 hours, mile radius, go. So the student comes back 24 hours later, sobbing. He says, Master, I, I failed. I couldn't find a single botanical that doesn't have medicinal value. And the master looks up and says, no, in fact, you've passed. So every flower, every leaf, every root, every stalk has medicinal benefits and power to it. But what could be poison for one person, uh, uh, meaning the flower right. maybe could be uh, poison for one person, the roots could actually be beneficial for that same person. And Ayurveda takes a very strong stance on not one botanical or one formula for millions of people. I love that, that about Ayurveda. Everyone, yeah, there's, there's, there's different, we all come from different backgrounds. So let's say you're in your early 40s and you have trouble sleeping and there's deep-seated anxiety and low back pain. Yeah. I don't know anyone um, so like let's that. Just, let's just assume... <laughs> <laughs> right. If we were to assume that, then one might take a look at, okay, well, what, you know, what's the nighttime routine and also what's the daytime mm -hmm. routine that, that really affects 
the individual. Now, where are they living? What time of year is it? What, what's their family history? So there's all these other things that could really come into play. That's Ayurveda. When it comes to Ayurveda, I am definitely more Pitta than Vata or Kapha. For my listeners that may not be familiar with Ayurveda, since you are the expert, can you dial us in? Ayurveda literally means the science of life. So Veda means life. I'm sorry, science and Ayur means life. So it's life science, not quite biology, but it's right. life sciences in the sense that what is alike on the outside, the world that we perceive, the world that we're in is also alike on the inside. So we have fire and we have water and we have space and air and an earth. So we have these different elements and they show up in different formulas and different combinations. So in other words, earth, earth is strength, it's bone structure, it's density. You have water, we're like 80% water. Fire, fire is heat, it's passion, it's luster, it's drive. Air, air is required for, for movement. And you have space, and space is necessary for communication, not just in terms of relationships, but also between neurons. And if you look under a microscope, you see neurons don't actually touch to, to channel communication. Right. There's a bit of distance that's required. So within those five elements, you have fire and water, and that's pitta. Right. You have space and air, and that's vata. And then you have water and earth, and that's kapha. Okay. Now, you, and pitta shows up as someone that's more athletic, more driven. What they're saying is right. They know that they're right. Yeah. It's kind of hard to argue. Very intellectually stimulated. Um, they want to know what's in the forefront in the world. More of an athletic background or competitive background. And then you have kapha. Kapha is a bit more slow, a bit more heavy set, mm. attracted to sweet foods, thick foods, salty foods. Pitta is also attracted to spicy and salty type foods. And a kapha person's typically could be more loving, great friends to have, very dependable, thick hair, lustrous eyes, a bit slower to understand something, but once they get it, they won't forget. And then you have vata, and those people are typically like a little bit more wiry, thinner kind of hair, maybe attracted to salad and popcorn and just like, wait, what were we talking about? Light, like Very light energy. Yeah. Light energy. Beautiful. Like, I totally get it. Yeah. I'm with you. Wait, wait, wait. I, I don't even know what we're talking about, but I'm totally with you anyway. I love you. Yeah. And so you might be thinking, or your listeners might be thinking, oh, I'm kind of a little bit of this, kind of a little bit of that. And in our American society, we are a combination of typically one dominant, meaning yeah. you could be pitta dominant, followed by vata dominant, followed by kapha being the third. So if I'm not taking your pulse and I'm not self-diagnosing. Are you very much involved in Ayurveda still? It sounds like it's a big part of your life. Like it's the way that you live. Well, first of all, I don't, don't see patients anymore. I, you know, I grew up in a family medicine background with you know, my mom, my sister and in, in, uh, in psychology and uh, other family members and other medicinal practices. So I grew up seeing with that mindset of seeing one patient at a time. And I really thought, I, I, you know, uh, one, I felt attached to someone's progress, right? If they're doing mm -hmm. well and they're sticking to the protocol, then great. And if they're not, that would also kind of bring me down. And I thought I have to, if I'm going to help more people, Dr. Laud, the person I studied with at the Ayurvedic Institute said, if you see someone slipping in the mud, you hand them a stick. You don't hand them your hand. And for me, I, I needed to realize that that stick is a tool. Mm -hmm. If I hand them a hand, they'll pull me in. But if I hand them a stick, I can help them out or they can help themselves out. Okay. 
And T seemed like a way where it can help multiple people. And we want to impact as many lives as we can through T. And it could just be because people need that solace and that joy, or they need it to feel better, or they need it to wake them up or to wind down during the day. And it hits all these different spectrums. And so that's what really, really attracted me to, to tea. But taking that self-assessment test yes. from the Ayurvedic perspective, yeah. at different seasons and even at different stages in life, you might be more pitta you know, at, at a certain stage in life. And at a later stage in life, you might lean more towards vata. Right. It's something that I've been thinking about in terms of Ayurveda, in terms of my diet, and also in terms of medicine. I just have been like on this sort of exploratory path to finding the right thing for me, like from a health perspective that is like some kind of fusion of like functional wellness and health and medicine and Eastern Western mix. When I was studying with Dr. Laud, I would see him see a patient where he, he would look at the fingernail of a patient and and say, and this is like a 40-year-old woman that was here to see him for certain ailments, right. right? And he'd look at the fingernail of the woman and said, oh, my dear, I'm so sorry. When you were nine years old, your grandmother got uh, uh, in a major car accident. And everyone in the room is like, what? Like, they're shocked. They're crazy. She's crying. Like, oh my how did God. you know this? And this is, you couldn't sleuth anyone on the internet. It's not like you could right. find you this information. Yeah. yeah. So- in our bodies and how we present ourselves, it shows up from an Ayurvedic standpoint in terms of what we may or may not need. And so I practice Ayurveda in terms of my own understanding and my kids' understanding and people I'm close with that may right. ask me specific questions from how can I help best understand what they what they might need. But really, a lot of that Ayurveda practice goes into the blends that we create. It goes into the ethos of our company culture it goes into how we can best present something that's going to hopefully make an impact in people's lives in, a, in just a really positive way. Yeah. Well, so speaking of art of tea and healthy, positive ways, what are some of the wellness blends that you offer at Art of Tea? Mm. Because I mean, I love my sleep tea, but I know that you also have many blends in the wellness category. Yeah, we have one. I. I drink it every day and sometimes what I'll do is I'll add some black tea. Like right now I'm drinking it with some black tea, right. our, our uh, English breakfast. One way that you can judge a tea company is by their English breakfast. Like they say with a, um, that with a restaurant, you can judge them by their creme brulee. Okay. Um, yes. So an English breakfast is a good way of knowing. I know you don't drink a lot of black tea. I but would. I would drink black tea. I have a lot of energy though. So, so once the, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I don't know if I need any more caffeine, but yeah, I mean, I would. Maybe there's okay. a lower dose caffeine. Well, here's the thing with, that's interesting about the energy with tea. So tea creates what's called tea mind. It sort of takes the phrase of the mind uh, going off into different directions and it gets it this adaptogen-like qualities. It gets them super hyper-focused. Okay. So for example, if you have a presentation or if you need to say focus on a podcast, it helps you get in the zone, helps you stay in that lane and be super hyper-focused and present. Well, coffee might feel more scattered. Mm. There's nothing within the bean itself, a coffee bean, to combat the negative side effects. So you can come up with this high crash, uh, this high rush, this really low crash, and it takes a long time to come back to your normal state. Yes. While with tea, you get this elevated rush and you come back down to your normal state because of the 
polyphenols and flavonoids and catechins and all the other good stuff for you within the leaf that help combat the negative side effects. So caffeine, I think more people are addicted to the crash of caffeine than they are the rush of caffeine from coffee. But with tea, you get this elevated state. And just imagine sitting like in a Zen monastery in Japan in lotus position for hours on end. And on you can't do that on espresso, but with tea, they, they use sencha, really high-grade sencha in Zen monasteries to really help focus the energy and channel the mind and direct it. So it, it can be used in a very powerful way. So and so I don't need to, I can have tea then during the day and I shouldn't be worried if I want to have some Earl Grey or English breakfast because I already had coffee in the morning. So I would check your pattern yes. throughout the day yes. and I'd say what happens around, around, you know, 11 a.m. and what happens around 2 p.m. where maybe my energy might shift. And at that point, I'd explore potentially a sencha or an Earl Grey and see what tends to happen with the mind and see what happens with the body as, as you start to incorporate tea within your, your That's ritual. That's such a good idea because I've actually, you know, I, like I said, I love all wellness teas and botanicals and I, it's not that I don't love, you know, a good tea. It's just that I've already had the coffee and I'm now <laughs> trying to just, you know, get into my zone, but I do crash around four o'clock and it would be great I would caution going beyond 4 p.m. I would even bring it in a little bit earlier, closer like to 2 p.m. Because you might find that you'll you'll stay awake a little bit later if mm. you drink after 3 p.m. tea. I don't like. I, for example, I have a friend that drinks chai. Really, she just grew up she, Indian background, grew up drinking a really strong concentration of chai before she goes to bed because it just takes again the phrase of the mind and gets her into that relaxed meditative state even though there's caffeine in it it's different it's interesting so. to hear how the caffeine is different in coffee and tea there's also an adaptogen from chinese medicine that i have taken on occasion called cordyceps which i'm sure you're familiar oh, yeah. with i noticed when i started taking it which was really initially because of my athletics and wanting to have like stronger performance and you know endurance and all those things and i felt like really energized but different than coffee like really different than coffee in a way that was positive whereas i felt mm. for the first time that edge that you get from coffee i did never notice that edge because i had never tried anything else for having like that sort of awakeness like I don't drink anymore soda or Gatorade or things like that so you know I, I started taking cordyceps and it was really amazing and game-changing for in terms of like that energy boost but I don't do it all the time since it's an adaptogen coffee can can sometimes override the system yeah um, and then your system starts to crash because of the override yeah cordyceps stimulates other parts of the digestive system and to really work with the natural energetic system in the body. Right. Um, so it's just absorbed and, and works very differently than, than coffee does. What are some of the blends that you, that are some of your wellness blends that you recommend in times of COVID? In times of COVID. Yeah. Okay. So we have a blend called breathe and breathe has turmeric and ginger and lemongrass and rooibos and it has uh, a hint of bergamot to it bergamot's within the citrus family it's got yeah. this floral and fruit loopy kind of 
flavor profile to it. So we get an Italian bergamot oil and we blend that in and it's, and it also has chili flakes. So the combination of the different botanicals help open up our lung capacity and it's super refreshing. It's clean. My kids love it. And it's, it's a household staple. So then I also add our English breakfast into it and it's, it's just delicious. It's energizing. It's delicious. It's cleansing for me. And I, it's, it's great. Is wellness a newer category for you? Yeah, good question. So we started out with not offering wellness teas because everything that we did, we had Ayurveda in mind. So even in terms of how we blend. Mm -hmm. So with our teas, the teas that we hand blend, we would blend clockwise. This is what I learned while working at the Ayurvedic Institute in the herbal pharmacy. And this was sort of a sacred space. This Ayurvedic Institute herbal pharmacy, no one was allowed in there because we didn't want to affect the energetic, and this is kind of foo-foo-y, right? But we didn't want to affect the energetic levels of the botanicals. So even in our space that we're blending now, the music that we play, the mindset that we're in, all that goes into it. So as we're blending clockwise, our intention goes into it. If we're blending counterclockwise, we're trying to draw something out, whether it's an aromatic compound or whatever it might be. But typically we're blending clockwise. And also the different botanicals need to be matched in terms of not just quality, but size and function. So one botanical plus another botanical in terms of the power and potency, it's sort of like a password to, let's say you're trying to get right. into your email. Now you use capitals and maybe numbers and other sequences. If you don't capitalize or if you don't put the number or the, or the letters in the right sequence, you, you're just not going to be able to access your email. So these different botanicals blended together within their ratios are known to have certain biological effects that help unlock the nature's and your own body's natural immune system. So rather than overriding the immune system, it helps to really stimulate the immune system in, in deep and, and meaningful ways. So in this particular case, one botanical plus another doesn't equal two, it equals four or equals right. six in terms of its its uh, effect in the body. Did you start Art of Tea with single origin teas or was it a mix of blends? Started with blending. A friend of mine has this uh, smoothie company and he was really trying to push people on, try it, it's got broccoli, it's got asparagus it's and spinach. And once you tried it, you're like, wow, I don't taste any of that. And, and so he was going with this angle of it's really good for you. Right. And it, it worked for him, but I thought, you know, I, People need to know that tea can be super delicious. I grew up thinking tea was disgusting. It was like a supermarket paper tea bag and you know, not high quality ingredients. And I needed to add lemon, I needed to add honey, I needed to add sugar, I needed to add milk, all this other stuff to just override what what was what was tea. But we when I started creating these different blends in my living room, I wanted to create a delicious experience. So that way people know this tastes amazing and you can taste the different properties of the earth and you can also taste the different properties of how they complement and blend together in beautiful ways. So like at the Huntington Gardens here in California, you know, they came to us and said, we want to create something that really showcases off our gardens. So what I did was I toured the gardens I looked at the different botanicals that are grown on property and created a blend that you can only get at Huntington Gardens. And it also complements the, the 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 taste experience, the garden experience, right. and then also has the Ayurvedic principles in mind in terms of the, the blend ratios properties. So when you started, you mentioned you were in your living room making these blends. How did you get 
like your first opportunity with say Huntington Gardens or Wolfgang Puck? Yeah. So one of one of my first so when I first started, I was blending in my living room. Um, I was uh, I got these little style um, almost like coffee bags, um, and I would print the labels out with this little Dymo printer. Like we're print out and it like had the name. So I went to a place called Ammo, which is a great restaurant that is unfortunately no longer around. And Benny Baum, who's an amazing human being um, and just huge foodie. Um, I, I went to, to pitch to him and he's like, I love the packaging. It's so beautiful, so authentic looking. It looks like you printed with a Dymo label. And, and like, as if I was trying to copy a Dymo label, but it really, it really was. Um, but I went in and I just, I really fell in love with the training aspect and going in and, and talking to his staff about the training and the tasting. And then with Wolfgang Puck, a friend of mine introduced me to someone at Wolfgang Puck and it didn't, it didn't happen overnight. It took many, many months of me going out to Las Vegas to meet with their head of cuisine. And he'd ask like, what are you doing in Vegas? I was like, oh, I'm just, you know, I just flew in. I have some meetings here, but really I was flying right. in to meet him. Right. And I, just over time, just kept showing up and teaching and talking about tea over and over again. And eventually earned trust enough to meet with some of the head decision makers and then meet with other decision makers. And we just slowly rolled out from there. So it was a arduous process. I was working another job at the time. I was working at, at a treatment center for kids as a spiritual counselor. And while I was doing that, and eventually I, there was a point where I was in my living room, all these boxes in my living room, I had this full-time job. And I, you know, I sat down with my wife and I'm like, what are we, what are we going to do? And, she, and, and I had a job offer in my hand to make six figures at a, at a different company. I was like, this is an amazing opportunity. And she said, you know what? We have a kid on the way. Like, you know, you can always go back. You're so good at what you do in this other space. You can always go back and do that. Right. But why don't you try this and we can at least mess up on this or we'll never know. Right. So I ended up doing the stupid, crazy thing of starting my own business. <laughs> and uh, I quit my full-time job and I was like, I just need to make a thousand dollars a week. If I make a thousand dollars a week selling this, that means that I can make like, you know, a few hundred dollars. And, you know, we were living at my mother-in-law's house at the time. And it just sort of slowly grew from, from there. It just forced me to, to just, go out and interact and teach and show up and get scared and freaked out and excited at the same time. So you didn't think um, like 16 years later, you'd have like this huge tea brand and company. Uh, <laughs> very sweet. I certainly, I certainly hope so. I, I certainly wanted to, to be super intentional about it just impacting more lives. Right. right? So I, I, it, I feel so honored that like we have a great company culture. We have staff, that come that are committed to what we're doing. And we have a loyal following of people that want to keep diving into tea. And, and we get emails and phone calls like with, with all these shipping delays. People are like, where's my tea order? Like I can see that it's tracking and UPS shipped it, but why is it stuck? Yeah, I need my tea. I'm down. To, like So it's be, it's becoming so important in people's lives to, to have tea and just knowing that and we're reflecting on this as a team, like, okay, what can we do to continue to innovate and show up for our customers so that way we can give them this sense of solace and joy and wellness? Have you seen an increase in sales during COVID just because more and more people are at home trying to spend time relaxing? 
Yeah, we've seen a major shift in focus. So yeah. like when we were, you know, January last year, when we were serving to the cruise line industry and we were serving into the restaurant industries across the countries and to Japan and Singapore and all these other like hospitality locations, March hit and it was like the world was on pause. So our market shifted from serving the creatives at Google in their offices and headquarters right. and, and these other locations to people are at home. How could we show up for them? What could we do to really go direct to the customers and be able to offer this, uh, these teas. Like, I, I feel a sense of responsibility. If we're not sharing this with the world, then, then we're not fully fulfilling our responsibility. So our, our market definitely shifted. And I think in a very positive way, I'm excited for the hospitality space to come back, but there's there's less barriers to be able to reach the customers where they're at. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And so when you're creating these teas and speaking of your customers, what inspires you to create certain blends? That's a great question. So it's it's a little bit of inspiration from nature and inspiration sometimes from the customer. So for example, we were driving to Palm Springs and we got stuck in a monsoon a few years ago. And when we got out, we opened up the door and the smell was incredible. The damp desert floor just became alive. So you had this fresh air that you could fill your pores up with and fill all your senses with. And I said, I got to make this into a tea. And so we created summer peach, uh, which has, you know, if you smell that damp um, in recent, you know, monsoon hit uh, desert floor, it's got this osmanthus peachy sort of flavor profile to it. It's just so refreshing. So, uh, you know, that helped create that blend. Another example is shutters on the beach hotel, right. you know, they came and they said, we have this shampoo. Can you make a tea out of this? Obviously we don't want it to taste like shampoo, but can you create a tea that kind of resembles this? And so they made it with, and you know, within a few weeks came back and said, what do you think? And they're like, I don't know how you did this, but you nailed it. So that also helped create some sort of inspiration. And so cherry blossom season for the Peninsula Hotel in Tokyo, we created a cherry blossom blend. And so sometimes it's inspiration from the customer. And sometimes it's just like, I, I for years had a journal next to my bed. I'd wake up in the middle of the night, like writing recipes down. In other cases, it would be an accident, like, you know, blending one ingredient with another and you know, we try it and discover that there's something actually interesting here. Let's see if we can play with it. You have such unique skills because you're as a master tea blender. What are the skills that skills are you using? Is it like your nose? Is it your tasting? Is it like your vision? Like where is it everything? I mean, yeah, well, first of all, I suck at a lot of things. I'm really bad at a number of things. I need to surround myself with really smart people that are really good at a number of other things that I just I, I can't, I just can't do. So the one or two things that I'd say that I'm good at or um, that I like spending time with and, and honing in on is one is in terms of tasting teas, I have a crazy olfactory memory. So I'm able to remember how things smell and taste for extended periods of time. And so what I do is like that memory mm -hmm. game where you remember where the cards are. So in terms of how each ingredient might complement each other, I'm able to use that database within my head of how things will complement and how they'll play out in terms of flavor profile. So that I'd say is one hack that I love tapping into. In terms of tasting, it's really simple. It's when you taste tea, over 80% of what we taste is actually through our sense of smell. So just like with wine tasting, really slurp it in. Mm -hmm. The one little hack that we do that's a little bit different 
is after we taste, because over eight, over 98% of what you're drinking is water. So you're looking for that nuance within the 2% is we do almost like a new Jai breath, like a yogic mm-hmm. breath after we drink. So with our lips closed, we just take a slow breath out through the nose. And what that does is it just really gets everything hyper engaged and you're really able to dive into where things hit the nose, where things hit the palate. When I was studying Ayurveda, I also went uh, one summer to Santa Cruz Mountains. There's a guy named Baba Hari Das who hasn't spoken in 55 years. Actually, at that time, 55 years. So it's, he was one of the first people to bring classical Ashtanga yoga into, you know, not not part of the Patavi Joyce right. reign. But, so he has a place in Santa Cruz Mountains or n- near Monterey. And he, at the time, hadn't spoken in 55 years. So he'd write his lessons down on a chalkboard. And so I'd live in a tent in the Redwood Mountains, practice yoga from 5.30 in the morning till, you know, 8 o'clock at night. And one of the exercises that we did was, this is going to sound super gross, but we would take um, a waxed string. Mm -hmm. First part was wax. And we would clean our nose out with the string. We'd pass it through our nose and through our mouth. And then we would also, you know. It's like the neti pot. And then we do the neti pot. So the neti pot was the last stage. But what it did was it really, I saw and felt how open everything and, and how many more senses that we're able to pick up just through this opening. Wow. So yes, it was used for, for yogic pranic exercises, but it was also, uh, you know, one extra benefit was, you know, the deepening of the awareness of different senses and smells. I use the neti pot, not all the time, but it's, when I do, it's really game changing for my breathing yeah. and for my nose and for everything. I mean, it's like if, if you're sick, I mean, it's a great thing to use. It's just hard to get used to it. The sensation is it's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, it's painful at first, <laughs> it's, right? Yeah, it is painful. Like, oh, it's going to burn. And it's then you were like, did I yeah. do it right? I don't know. It took me years to figure it out, but I did. That's interesting. So do you still practice yoga? Or you Do you practice yoga or you were just doing like the pranayama and um, breathing stuff? Yeah, I I practice more breathing exercises. I do some light stretching, but it's mostly the breathing exercises. You know, I I try to look for things that I can do when I actually do become 84 that I'll be able to do from now till that time and and hopefully even beyond. And breathing, yes, we're breathing all the time, but intentional breathing at specific times of the day, I feel like it just, it, it impacts so much of what I do in meaningful ways. So I had a yoga class this morning and I practiced Ashtanga and my teacher, nice. it was, it's lead right now. So, cause I just, it's, it's much more helpful. And her husband is an Ayurvedic nutritionist. Her name's Erica Halwell. I don't know if you know Erica and Corey DeRosa. No, but I'm sure they're great people, but I'm, I'm not a big networker. That's like probably a weakness of mine. Okay. So she decided that today we were going to do like for every inhale and exhale, it was a four count. So in Ashtanga for each you know, asana, you're breathing like five counts in America. I don't know. In India, it's probably 10. Like when I studied with Patabi Joyce, you know, but here that's what we do. And so it was like the hardest class I've ever done because breathing is my weakness in terms of like the long inhale and long exhale. And I always say like, you know, I was doing Kabbalabhati breathing for a minute, you know, one point of my life. And yeah, breathing is so important. That's beautiful. That's that's amazing that you incorporated that you're sharing that also also with your listeners. Yes, it's, it's incredible. Yes, I might take that out. No, I'm kidding. 
No, it's true. I'll share it with my listeners. <laughs> but, but I mean, I think it's, you know, so I had asked you earlier, and I don't know if I let you answer the question, but you're a master tea blender. Are there other master tea blenders around the world? Is it like the master sommelier? So there was big world tea conventions that were, would happen every year. And uh, was one of our customers that said, Steve, you know, they would have all these classes and they said, Steve, like, can you teach about blending? You know, blending, like, it would be great if you can blend teas. And if you can teach us, if you can start teaching. And, and I said, well, you're welcome to talk to the show people. I, I've never taught anyone how to blend teas. Mm-hmm. And at the time, there was no resources. There was no schools for it. There's no systems for it. So it was really just me experimenting and putting something out there. People, people liked it. So the, the convention host said, you know, we're getting some requests. And yes, one of your customers also requested and we think you would potentially be a good person doing it. And so I ended up doing like, they're like, okay, we'll sign you up and we'll see what kind of response we get online. And it sold out within like a few minutes. And they're like, okay, there's only supposed to be 30 people. Can we do 45? I said, sure. A few minutes later, like, okay, can we, can we do 60? And so it tapped out where on the day there was like 75 people that they somehow squeezed into, into the room. Mm-hmm. And, and then I ended up teaching an advanced class, a beginning in advanced class. So, and I tried looking at other resources and I found that there's books written in the 1800s on blending teas. And most of it was like black teas and different sizes of black teas, but there's no one teaching real contemporary. And there's a guy that came up to me, his name was David. And he said, you know, I, I'm thinking about starting a tea company and I'm, you obviously know what you're doing. I just took your two classes. Can you do it for me? So uh, we actually ended up creating the first platform for uh, publicly, one of the first publicly traded tea companies called David's Teas. Okay. And so became synonymous for blending and, and creating. And so the, the name was given to me as a master tea blender. And so started teaching lots of other tea companies and coffee companies and just connoisseurs in, in the tea space. That's so cool. Well, it very much suits you. <laughs> and now if people want to learn more about tea, I know I asked you a little bit about this before, but you have an Art of Tea Academy on your website. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that, what it is involved yeah. in that, and yeah. So if you've enjoyed hanging out so far and you want to learn more, there's about 25 videos that we're doing. It's our first series. We're working on our, our next series now, but it is how to become a tea expert, and it's in our tea academy, and it's 25 videos of just us hanging out. We're learning about teas and origins and tasting different teas and it's a lot of fun, but it had a lot of fun putting it together and we're going to keep creating more fresh new content. Great. I, I think a lot of people are doing master classes now and trying to learn new things in this period of time. And at Art of Tea, you have such a wide variety of teas that you offer. What's the best way for someone to get started? The first thing you might want to do is start with our tea quiz. And it's sort of like a personal shopper that helps you understand, okay, you're looking for tea bag sachets or are you looking for loose leaf tea? And then are you looking for caffeine free? Are you looking for something more sultry and chocolatey, something more fresh and grassy? And that helps you walk through the experience and then boom, it kicks out. Here are the X amount of teas that we recommend based on your flavor profile and and caffeine preferences. So that's probably the best place to start. Yes, we have over a hundred different teas to choose from Mm -hmm. and different platforms that you could experience. We also have a subscription program where if you're really into caffeine free or into wellness or into iced teas, you can pick the right category that's, that suits you. Or let's say you're living with a loved one or you want to connect with someone 
part of the hard part today is, you know, handing a gift over to someone. And so the subscription program helps you give a gift over a period of time. And in terms of the continuous learning, I mean, we've done some really fun educational platforms lately for some corporate companies where they're bringing their staff together over wine tasting or cheese tasting. And so we've had some fun with some pretty creative companies on tea tastings across the country as well. That's pretty cool. And so what are some big focuses for you as you move into 2021? Would you be introducing new categories? But we're launching as of early February, a, a new Rose Black. It's in honor of uh, Valentine's Day. We just launched a new matcha and a, it's a beautiful ceremonial matcha uh, and a tin. We've been working with this family that's been crafting high quality teas for about 10 generations documented. And it's the highest grade matcha you can find in the market. It's, it's just beautiful and luscious and, and fresh. We have it ground at origin and then it's air shipped into our warehouse and we freeze it to just lock in the freshness. So we're delivering the freshest bioavailable matcha on the market. We're, we're also launching a few new wellness teas. I'm going to be like converted after this conversation. I mean, but... well, it's a journey, right? I mean, there's so much to learn and a taste in tea and just tasting at different hours, seeing how it affects your body in different ways and really locking where it hits you on the tongue. It's such a full sensory experience. So I'm so excited for you to start your journey and see where it takes you. Yeah, thank you. So what tea do you think would be good for people who are working in voiceover or speaking all day or on the phone or someone like me podcasting? What blend would you recommend? Yeah, so throat therapy, which uh, which would be phenomenal. I still think breathe. Breathe is, is just so good. Both of those blends would be phenomenal. Yeah. The other thing is this isn't this is more of an Ayurvedic recommendation. It's just you know, oil, you know, having it's, and this is so hard, right? Yeah. Are you familiar with this? You just put almond oil in your, in your mouth or sesame oil, actually in your mouth, uh, just for a few minutes No, I'm never and you it. swish. Yeah. We just, you just hold it for like, you can do two minutes. If you can work your way up to eight minutes, that would be amazing. Why is it hard to do? It's just doing that for like eight <laughs> minutes, you know, and, and the, the muscle tension Got it. and it's just hard, but it's great for the mouth. It helps coat the throat. It helps coat the, you don't swallow it. Okay. You just hang on to it. It's like oil pudding or swishing. There's different words for it, but, and it's great just for keeping everything super lubricated. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a great idea. I'll have to share that with my voiceover yeah. friends too. What do you do personally besides Ayurveda to stay healthy and fit and well? I try to surround myself with, with just really good people. So the, from a joy perspective, I have three daughters. So spending time with my daughters whenever I can and seeing life through their eyes is incredibly rewarding. Uh, whether it's like showing me a, a new flower in the garden or going on a hike with them or watching them just play the, you know, whatever sports they can. So that part is super fulfilling for me. And in terms of you know, going back to the wise counsel and surrounding myself with, with great people. Yeah. I'd say that that's probably one of the most fulfilling things that I can do is be able to give back advice to other wise counsel and for having them come and, and, and give me feedback and just being super vulnerable in that, in that process. And last but not least is, you know, just getting outside. It's so important that vitamin D yes. and hiking in the Santa Monica mountains. I spent a significant, a considerable time earlier this week, just being outside, feeling the sunshine, breathing, and, and not just on a path, but really going a bit off path 
and using my full dexterity of all my hands and, 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 and legs and everything and just getting in the elements. That's great. That's great. I know now is a great time to be outside. How have exercise and wellness empowered you for success? So if I do the hardest thing in the morning, like mentally and physically challenging thing in the morning, mm -hmm. then everything else that comes away throughout the rest of the day is that much easier. So I've been a big fan of CrossFit for many years. And so I've, I've, I've been doing that. And I do, I used to go six days a week. Now I mix it up between I'll hop on my bike or I'll hike. I'll do one of those right. two things, two days a week. And then I'll do CrossFit two to three days a week. Um, and it's just, I got to sweat it out. I got to push, break through whatever limiting beliefs that I might have in order for me to fully show up as a father, as a uh, business leader, as a husband uh, for myself, for my community, not in any specific order, obviously a husband and, and, right. and, and wife probably first, but with, but within that spectrum, it's just important to fill all those. Do you have any like sage entrepreneurial wisdom or even just career advice, you know, along the way that you've learned? I think we tend to romanticize entrepreneurship in our society. We tend to think that in order for you to make an impact, you, you have to be an entrepreneur. It's the only way. And, and you know, I think you could be a, working within a company where there are hundreds of people within that organization and come to work knowing that if you, it, you could be a part of a mission-driven organization mm. and make a significant impact. It doesn't have to be all on your own. It's it's freaking hard doing a business. It's hard in any just life in general right now is challenging, but you can be a part of something that's super meaningful and positive, but we're here for such a short period of time. And if you're, if you're not happy with the impact that you're making in this world, then I would just check in and really take a look at where you want to be in the next 10 years in the next five years in the next year and work backwards. 10 years is where you want to be in your North star and who do you want to surround yourself with? Right. And just as important within that circle of who you want to surround yourself with, what's the bullshit that you don't want in your life? Right. So, I like that. That's really good. I love that. That's great advice. You've got me thinking. For new staff members, I created a, a vision strategy. Now, I know that some people are coming on board because they really want to join our mission and what we're about. And other people, they might want to learn. They're like, I'm looking for a job or this is cool. They might want to go do my own thing. So I do a vision strategy along those lines where it's a 10-year and a five-year and a one-year, just really helping them think about where do they want to go? What impact do they want to make in this world? And I hope that RDT can be that vehicle for them, either on a personal level or on a professional level. And so just really know that we're, we're all here. It's an equal opportunity for us to just we can go out there and crush it. That's great. I mean, that's really impressive the way that you've created this mission-driven company that you know has such a bigger purpose than what it is. Well, I feel so fortunate. We have amazing people on our team. I definitely, like I said earlier, I couldn't do it on my own, you know, really great people. The, the, the only other advice that I'd have is if it freaks you out and gets you excited at the same time, but gets you excited a little bit more than you're freaked out, then you're doing the right thing. That is really the best advice I've heard in like 20 years. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. You're speaking my language. Cool. Well, you're a rock star. I so appreciate the opportunity. It's so great tracking with you and hanging out with you. There's something I forgot to mention, and that's that I'm uh, writing a book and it's coming out, it should be coming out late spring, early summer. So 
it's, it's there's beautiful pictures, but yeah, it'll be a mix of like story and, and, and that's really exciting about your book. It'll be good. I hope I'm super, I'm just being really vulnerable in the book and sharing the entrepreneurial journey and more about tea and some different recipes and stuff like that. So it's never done this before. It'll be good. Awesome. Well, I'll send you a copy when it comes out. Yes. Yes. That would be great. This has been great. I mean, you have such great advice and insight and wisdom. I think my listeners will love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks again for tuning into Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, MarnieOnTheMove1 at gmail.com and let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of, If you have questions for our guests, just reach out.